0: Good morning, everyone. How's it going? Good that good, huh? Yeah. I love to hear the sound of silence in the morning when I ask that question. It's, is, it, is it just a gloomy day? We're still suffering from daylight savings. Wow, you guys are really dead. <laughs> OK. OK, good start, everyone. Um, let's go ahead and read our passage for today. This is from Exodus chapter 20, and I'm just going to read a few verses. Um, Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through, uh, we'll go through 6. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Um, this is God's word. Let's pray. Um, dear Lord, I pray, Father, that you would illuminate your word, that your spirit would bring understanding, uh, that you would be revealing yourself to us as you are, um, that you would be breaking through the obstacles or preconceptions we might have about your word, your law. Um, I pray, Lord, that we would see you as you are, um, a God who uh, acts first on our benefit, who is gracious to us, who loves us, and then instructs us on how to live a life of obedience that comes from the gratitude of how you are ready, accept, and are pleased with us because of what Christ did. Um, So I really pray, Father, that you would um, give us the energy to be attentive. Um, We need your strength um, as we come before your feet and your word uh, today. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, we are going to read through, um, uh, I don't think it would be an overstatement to say uh, this is probably one of the most widely known about but least understood passages in the Bible. So what I mean is, uh, like, you know, when you think about the Ten Commandments, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And then what I especially want you to ask, um, are there any images that come to mind? Um, So like, have you seen the, what is it? Like Cecil B. DeMille, like the the movie, 10 Commandments, like that's a super old Hollywood movie. Um, Do you think about stone tablets? And then here's another question. Um, What is the first of the 10 Commandments that comes to mind when someone says 10 Commandments? What do you guys think? Huh? Don't kill? Yeah. Now, it's really interesting. Um, That is what most people think about when it comes to the 10 Commandments. And by uh, starting with the ones that are most easily understandable for us, uh, we're actually missing a huge chunk of what this is about. So what I wanna do today is I wanna work with your preconceptions of of what the 10 Commandments are, and I wanna give some principles that can help us read these, the, the law, read the, the Hebrew Bible, whatever. Um, principles that can help make this, uh, the Hebrew Bible more useful for you and help you understand and give you perspective on it. Okay, um, the, w- the other thing I would say is when we come to this stuff, it is not easy for us to read. Um, we, there's been, there's a huge gap in culture, in history, in language. Um, There's also kind of a mindset gap that we have. And so when we come to these Ten Commandments, we bring preconceptions and misconceptions that need to be combated. So I'm going to talk about three three truths or attitudes that will help you um, get through this passage or like the Ten Commandments in general as you read them. I'm going to give you three truths or way of thinking about it. And then what we're going to do is we're going to try to read through um, the prologue and the first one and apply these truths. So hopefully, as we apply these things, you'll understand more what's going on uh, here, and it'll actually be more beneficial for you. But also, it's a framework for understanding the entire Hebrew Bible. Um, Because when we come to the Hebrew Bible, which is, you know, people call it the Old Testament and the New Testament... But really what it is, is it is the story of how God interacted with Israel, his people, um, before. And then in the New Testament, it's obviously how God fulfilled the Hebrew Bible through the person and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Okay? Um, The other thing I would say is just as we come to Scripture with these preconceptions, we come to God with preconceptions. And so by looking at these truths, we can hopefully address some of these misconceptions we might have about God. Okay, so uh, the three ones we're going to look at, uh, these are truths or attitudes from the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Ten Commandments are revelatory, not rules. Another way of putting that is God is revealing himself through these Ten, ten Commandments, not simply giving rules. The second one The 10 Commandments are instructive, not simply legal. Okay, instructive, not simply legal. We'll talk about what that means. And then finally, um, the 10 Commandments begin with grace, not obedience. Okay, so you probably have no clue what I'm talking about with any of those things, but let's get into it, okay? Um, So the first one, we see that the 10 Commandments are revelatory, not rules. Uh, when you guys think about the Ten Commandments, I guarantee you, you think about the rules. Because if I was to ask you, what are the first four commandments? This is not like a Bible trivia test. It's simply saying, like, do you actually know kind of the heart or meat of the first half of the Ten Commandments? Can anyone say them? I'm not trying to make you feel bad, Like like... I, I'm not, like, for a long time, I didn't know what the Ten Commandments were, the first ones especially. We all know the ones like, don't murder, and like, don't commit adultery, don't like, steal stuff, and then don't bear false witness, whatever that means, you know? So those are the ones we're more familiar with, and those are the ones we think about. And so I want you to consider how that conception of the Ten Commandments influences the way you read this p- passage, When you read the Ten Commandments, when you hear the Ten Commandments, what are they? They're commandments. When someone commands you, you do what they say, right? But what's really interesting is that's actually not super helpful. Uh, Some context, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, when Moses is writing about this section, about God giving his law, he actually calls them the Ten Words. And so rather than thinking, These are 10 rules or laws. You break them, you die. If you don't break them, good, that's great. No, instead, we can think about these as 10 words that God speaks. This is a really big deal because as Dan talked about last time, uh, Israel has been wandering through the wilderness and over and over again, God has come through for them. Uh, He delivered them from Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. He brought them water two different times. He uh, gave them manna. He delivered them from the Amalekites. He helped them delegate and create an organization and structure that helps the people of Israel thrive. Um, and then last week, Dan was talking about how they came to, the Mount, uh, to Mount Sinai and God was on top of the mountain and there was thunder and there was lightning and earthquakes and fire. So basically, all kinds of pyrotechnics. They're at the foot of this mountain, and God is very present. They can feel tangibly the glory of God. They can feel God making an impact based on the, the, the thunder and lightning and, mount and uh, earthquakes, and there's even a trumpet sounding. And so if you are in that position... And this is where, like, the movie depiction of the Ten Commandments is interesting. You see some of the movie magic. It kind of gives you a feel of what it might have been like for them to be at that mountain. And then when they're there, what's really interesting is God speaks directly to all of them. Did you guys even catch that in chapter 19 and 20? God does not speak to Moses and then brings the tablets down from the the mountain. That happens later. What happens here is God directly speaks these ten words to every single Israelite, and as the Israelites, they are extraordinarily terrified. They're afraid of the thunder and the lightning and the trumpets and the earthquakes, and they're afraid of the, the words of the Lord. And so, afterwards, in um, at the end of this chapter, basically they say, like, we don't want God to speak to us anymore. He's too scary. Moses, dude, they're like they're like shoving Moses in the way, like, and they're like Moses, you talk to God. God's too scary for us, which is really interesting, and that's a very significant thing. But what I want you to say is um, to see is the first thing that God does when He gives the Ten Commandments is He reveals Himself. This is a God who desires to speak to His people. And this is a really, really big deal. This actually shows you what Christianity is about. Um, when, when, uh, when you think abstractly about the question of the existence of God, um, philosophers for many years have thought about it like this. There may or may not be a God out there, and by use of reason and arguments, we can prove or disprove the existence of God. Now, do I think that thinking through evidence for the existence of God can be valuable in different situations. Yeah, I think it can be valuable. But I want you to see the contrast between that sort of, let's go discover whether God is there or not. Like, let's get a telescope and look in the sky and see, oh, is God there? No, instead, in this passage, God speaks from the mountain. So in one, in one kind of model or framework for understanding the universe, God is kind of like hiding out there. And you have to use reason or you have to use other people like use, um, you know, paranormal arts or like, there's all kinds of interesting things that people do to try to get to God. But in this God, the God Yahweh, the God of Israel, he speaks to people. And when he speaks to people, does he say, here are the rules? He doesn't actually start there. He starts by revealing himself And so if you look at the very first thing, this is really interesting, and many people don't know what to make of this. What is the first commandment? What is the first commandment? The first commandment for many people begins like this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And you're like, what? What's he commanding? He's not commanding anything, right? He is beginning everything by speaking a word to the people where he says who he is. And so this is really, really crazy. Um, There are all kinds of passages in the Old Testament where uh, you will not understand what Scripture is doing if you think about it purely in terms of rules you should follow. And this has all kinds of ramifications for everyone. Uh, Let me give you one example. So Andrew uh, referred to one of his favorite passages from Psalm chapter, I don't know if it's your favorite passage, but you told us about Psalm chapter one at at our young adult group a while back, where he says, it goes like this. He basically says, um, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on it he meditates day and night. So that's from Psalm chapter one. What does that Psalm say? Blessed is the man who delights in the law. This is a really, really bizarre phrase that you can't possibly understand unless you understand this first truth that the scripture is revelatory. It's revealing God's character. Let me, let me use it, an example. Um, how many of you drive? How many of you know how to drive? Any of you young people know how to drive yet? Yeah, Amber does. Do you know how to drive yet, Daniel? No? Working on it or not interested? Okay, not working on it. Um, Have you ever been driving on the freeway or driving on on the road and then you see a speed limit sign? And according to the speed limit sign, the law of the land is, and let's be real, most of us treat these more as like loose guidelines, but the law of the land is if you drive over 35 miles an hour in this area, you will be fined, you will be punished. Have you ever been driving by a speed limit sign And you think to yourself, I delight in the law of the speed limit. You guys are like, dude, Daniel, you're crazy, right? But this is what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 1, where he looks at the law of the Lord and he delights himself in it, which means he cannot get enough of and he can meditate forever, day and night, on the law of the Lord. This is cluing us into something. If we're thinking about the Bible as an instruction manual or a set of rules, we're not understanding what's there. But when, again, I swear, when you guys think about the Ten Commandments, what do you think? It's a bunch of rules. No, it's not rules. It's revelatory. The Ten Commandments, the giving of the law, the words of God are him saying to his people, this is who I am. Look at how I've rescued you out of slavery, out of Egypt, and therefore, this is a way to live. And so this is actually really, really important. Um, If you understand, so let me tell you the difference between a law and what scripture is. Um, You know, you can't delight in the speed limit law um, unless, I guess maybe if you get annoyed at another driver who's driving too fast or too slow and a cop pulls them over and finds them, you're like, yes! Yes! Got them. I don't know. That's the only way I could imagine. Or maybe you're very, very, what do you call it? Philosophical. And you're like, hmm, without good speed limit laws, you know, the traffic would be chaos and everyone would crash. And so then you're very happy about the fact that there's whatever. Anyway, um, think about the Bible instead like this. The Bible is a love letter. You can delight in a love letter, right? If someone who you have a crush on sends you a letter where they say, I have a crush on you too. Or if you're like married or if you're engaged or if you're like, you know, you have a long distance relationship and, you know, she's off in this other college and you're over here and then she sends you a love Snapchat, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> whatever, so it sends you a, a love DM and is like, I really miss you. You delight in that, right? And you might even meditate on it where, you know, I'm really, I'm really pleased Ashley's not here. She's in the nursery right now. Um, and so I can talk about her uh, with no consequences. Um, basically, uh, over the course of our engagement and even after being married, uh, sometimes she would, like, write me cute little notes. And she would. she's a girl, so she has great handwriting, and she puts little star stickers and, like, all this stuff. And I keep those. I keep those. And sometimes I read them again. Where it's like I am so overjoyed, and I delight in the fact that the person I love feels this way about me, and so I could meditate on them. It makes me feel so good to think about the way that Ashley put this time and effort into writing me these like love letters and all this stuff. Right? Scripture is like that. Scripture is not just rules; it's revelatory. Now, th- this this actually is um, brings all up. You know, some issues when it comes to interpreting and understanding how different elements of scripture are revelatory, how they reveal God's character. The Bible is actually very interesting because the majority of the Bible is narrative, which means it's a story. So a lot of the Bible is a love story of how God loves and pursues humanity and Israel that turned away from him. A lot of the Bible is a love story. Some of the Bible is poetry. Some of the Bible are letters. There's a, some of the Bible are um, apocalyptic literature. There, there are a lot of different genres. But if you have this principle, and if you ask yourself this question, what does this communicate about God, not what are the rules here I should follow, it actually opens up the Bible in a way that changes your life and helps you to delight in scripture. And so I can think about this like, again, this is, the, this is the result of spending a lot of time with scripture and being like, getting help from other people who have taught me to learn how to read the Bible. Um, but I, if you keep this in mind, when you come to scripture, it'll help you a lot with having a good attitude and perspective to read it, okay? And so let's try to apply it to this passage, right? What is this passage, the first chunk of the Ten Commandments, revealing about who God is? Right. This is not necessarily intuitive for us because your instinct probably is to say, what should I do? Or how is this beneficial for me? And so you completely miss the way God is revealing himself. If you think through Exodus up to this point, God has revealed his power through Egypt, bringing them out of Egypt. He's revealed his love for them by choosing them and protecting them and providing for them. And in this, the first of the 10 words, he says, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. And so imagine you were an Israelite and you had gone through slavery, right? Do you know how miserable your circumstances were? This is like you're in a terrible job with a terrible manager that you absolutely hate. It's dehumanizing, the benefits are terrible, the pay is low, and then someone says, you know what, Oksana? I've seen that you do great work, and I want to choose you and bring you out of this miserable work situation to my company, where I'll pay you four times the amount, and there's free lunch every day from, by master chefs, and like, and then you would be so overjoyed, right? You would be so happy. And in the same way, when, when Israel was hearing God speak this word from the mountain, they, in a sense, they could have rejoiced and they could have been grateful and said, I am so thankful that this God, Yahweh, who I'm getting to know over time through wandering through the wilderness, this God, Yahweh, delivered me from this miserable slavery, from this horrible situation, the house of slavery. And so this is how God is revealing who he is through this word. This is the prologue to the Ten Commandments. That's some way, a way that some people um, talk about it. But again, it's not a commandment. Before God says, Do anything, He first says, Look at what I've done for you. And this is actually so important. Um, but let's get into the second point. This is not only legal, but it's instructive. And so, um, let's see, I think I have a quote somewhere. Uh, One of my favorite, uh, one of the single authors that has most influenced the way that I read the Old Testament is a guy named Alec Motyer. He's some British guy. It's like M-O-T-Y-E-R. But he totally has changed the way that I read the Hebrew Bible um, for a lot of reasons. He's like a very well-known scholar, theologian, uh, and he's most well-known for doing an extremely long commentary on the book of Isaiah that is incredible. But he says this, it is not simply law, but it is instruction. So um, in that passage, Psalm 1, where the guy says, I delight in the law of the Lord, that word for law, which is an extremely important word, it is Torah. And so if you know any Jewish people, they call the first five books of the Bible the Torah, which means the law. And the law here means something different than what we think. Again, the law is not legal as much as it is instructive. And so this is from Moitier, uh, from his commentary on Exodus. He says, what we call the law of the Lord is more akin to the teaching that careful parents would give to beloved children for their well-being. Read it again. What we call the law of the Lord is more akin to teaching that careful parents would give to beloved children for their well-being. Do you see the difference between this and the difference this attitude would have? When a lot of people come to Scripture, to the Ten Commandments, they come with a sense of fear or a sense of God is restricting what I can and can't do. But according to this, law is not the speed limit. Law is not saying I punish if you mess up, I reward if you don't. Law is actually instruction. And if you're really careful, if you look at the prologue to the 10 words, the 10 commandments, God says, first, look at all the things that I've done to win your trust, right? You guys catch that? When they're wandering through the wilderness, every single day he gives them manna. Why? Because he is trying to demonstrate to them what he's like. He's trying to win their trust and make him a trustworthy instructor, right? So uh, if you guys have ever tried to learn anything, if there's ever been something that you really wanna learn well, some of you might be the self-starter type where you try to learn it from scratch all by yourself. But another way that many people learn is they go to find the most excellent people in that field and they try to copy them, right? So this is the apprentice mindset. So for me, it's like, I love basketball, right? What I do when I try to learn basketball is I go to the best basketball players, I watch them very carefully, and then I try to copy their moves. Or if you go to, you know, a musician, right? When you're starting trying out to play an instrument, uh, you have no clue what you're doing. And so you have to find someone who's really, really good. And because you want to learn, when they say something to you, do you say, oh, my gosh, what a pain in the butt. I can't believe my music teacher is asking me to do this. If your motivation is I want to be instructed by them, and so, okay, let me put it a different way. Let's pretend that you want to be a professional basketball player or you want to be a basketball player. And Michael Jordan, okay, fine, too too old. LeBron James comes up to you and is like, I will give you private tutoring. Like, I will teach you how to play basketball, and you really, really wanna play basketball. And then LeBron James says, first, you have to work really, really, really hard. You have to correct your form. Here are all the things you're doing wrong. These are the training tools you have to internalize in order to become good at this. You can either have a bad attitude about it, where you say like, no, it's too much work, or you could say, wow, I can't believe LeBron James is actually going to teach me how to do this. And so in the same way, think about God for a second. If God is who he claims to be, he brought them out of Egypt, he loves them dearly, he is the creator of the universe, he is more powerful than any other God, and he is telling them, I can show you how to live a life of freedom. Because he says, I brought you out of slavery. You were slaved, you were enslaved, and now that I have redeemed you, let me show you how to live. This is what it means to read scripture through this lens. God is revealing himself through scripture, but God is also giving us instructions and guidance. Um, Let me talk about some of the implications. Uh, This is where a lot of church people get very mixed up, and pastors get mixed up, People who are trying to get volunteers to do stuff within the church get things really mixed up. Parents who are teaching their kids the Bible get really mixed up. Um, A lot of them say, you should do this so God will be pleased with you. You should follow the law so God will be happy. But what is the logic and order of these 10 words? It's actually very different. It's saying, because God has done this for you, it makes sense for you to listen to his instruction. Do you see the difference between those two things? For one of them, you are trying to meet the standards of someone whose love is conditional based on how well you do, right? On the other one, God already has redeemed Israel and chose you and saved you. Therefore, it makes sense to obey him. Because again, what is this instruction? He is a beloved father, who wants good for you. And so, like, one thing I would say for you guys, if you respond to the Bible, look, this is something that's very natural, and I want you to be self-aware and pay attention to how you respond to Scripture. If you read Scripture and your knee-jerk reaction is, "Um, God is trying to restrict me, God is trying to make me not do certain things, Um, you got it all wrong. There are restrictions in the Bible, And God does tell us to avoid doing certain things. But his motivation for telling us those things is what? He loves us and he wants to free us. And so this is where it gets really trippy. In the book of James, the author says, basically, he calls the law, the law of liberty. And you're like, what? A law of liberty? That doesn't make any sense. The whole idea of a law is it restricts you, but he's calling it the law of liberty. And so you have to kind of think through this. There are instructions from God that will set you free from the slavery that you experience in your life. And that is God's intention when he instructs us. This is totally, a, this is a total paradigm shift. And if you come to scripture very um, consistently asking God for help where you say, God, can you help me understand how this is actually freeing and good? Then this will transform the way you read the Bible. And again, it's all there, right? God doesn't say, obey the Ten Commandments and then if you do it, I'll love you. He says, I already chose you. I already rescued you. Therefore, obey me because what? Because I love to instruct you and I want things to go well for you. And so, again, I always use the example of practicing piano. My parents loved me. My parents loved me when I was a kid. They wanted the best for me. They had really good instructions for me, often. I could not handle the instructions. I didn't want to practice because I hated it, and I felt like it was restrictive. But the sad thing is, if I had accepted their instruction and the instruction of the piano teacher... Over time, it would have released me into greater freedom. What type of freedom? The freedom of being able to creatively express myself through music on the piano. And I would love that. I would love to be able to do that. But instead I go like, I'm not good. I'm not good. And so sometimes I wish I would have paid more attention. It's okay, you know. This is what God is like. There are restrictions. The restriction is you have to practice, right? But if you practice scales, it will release freedom. And so this is the difference between practicing to achieve a certain piece and practicing because someone else tells you you have to practice every single day. If you have, when, when I play guitar, if, the, if I find a song that I really, really love, I will try to learn it. But when you come to certain songs that you love, you realize I am not technically able to do what that person is doing. And so I have to use indirect means where I can't just try really, really hard to practice the whole piece over and over again. That's just practicing failing, right? Instead, I have to break it apart, I have to practice scales, I have to get my fingers used to this chord position, and over time, as I practice, it will be freeing because finally I can play the song. And maybe you'll never be able to play the song because you're not good enough, but you can actually accomplish a lot if you're willing to break it into parts, spend a long time doing it, and simply practice. It will lead to freedom. And this is what God's word does. Are you with me? So finally, we're going to look at um, this logic of grace before obedience. It is instructive, not legal. Um, God wants to help us and instruct us, not punish us and do all of these different things. Um, and then finally, we, okay, I'm trying to think, like, did I miss some of the implications that I wanted to talk about? Um, Okay, so real quick, I'll talk about some implications for, like, parents. Um, As a parent uh, or as a Sunday school teacher, as you're serving in the church, uh, one of the problems that we often have is we want people to do the external behaviors before we address their view of God. And this is completely backwards based on these 10 words, the 10 commandments. God always begins throughout all of scripture with what God has done first for you. And then only after you've responded and like you've seen God's goodness and responded to his action um, through Jesus Christ on the cross, or in this case, because God delivered them out of Egypt, only then does he ask them to obey. Um, when you, this leads to all sorts of problems. So one example. One um, we often think that people outside of the church have to ascribe to and behave the way Christians do. So we hold people who are not Christian to the moral standards that we believe like Christianity is about. That is not New Testament or Old Testament Christianity or Judaism. Because as for, for these people, the people of Israel, when they tried to do the law, They couldn't even do it. They did not have the power to live out the words that God spoke to them, the instructions that God gave them about, you know, having no other God before him. So let me me give you an example. When you think about sin, oh, here are some behaviors you shouldn't do. Don't murder people. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. These things are bad. Those things are good. Be a good Christian. Um, That is not super helpful a more helpful way about looking at what God requires of us in the Old Testament and the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 22 or Mark chapter 12, where Jesus says, um, "What is the law all about?" When Jesus is asked, "What is the law all about?" he says two th- he, he says a few things, but he says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself." This is a standard that it is totally ridiculous to hold anyone to if they're not a Christian. Can you see why? You're asking someone who doesn't believe in God and doesn't like God, they might be angry at God, they might disbelieve in God, to love God. It doesn't make any sense. And so in the same way, like you can hold people to behaviors, but at the core, at the heart of what the Ten Commandments are, The first four commandments, Jesus summarizes by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. How do you do that if you don't believe in God, if you don't love God, if you don't trust God? It's impossible. And then only after you love God does it come out in practical obedience in different areas. So in the second half of the Ten Commandments, number five through ten, these are all horizontal relational commandments. So once you get your vertical with God in line, where you, you love God, you trust him because he delivered you, you delight in him, you taste and see that he's good, then you have a desire to please him and obey him by loving other people around you. That is how it works. These things are always connected. You cannot separate them. And so this has a lot of implications. Um, uh, oftentimes we try to get people to do stuff in church without asking them, how are you doing with God? Do you actually want to do this because you see the good in it and because you love God? Or are we like the parent who's always asking their kid to do something the kid doesn't want to do, right? Don't be like that. And so what does this mean in practice? This means giving all of you guys, giving anyone who serves in church the freedom to say, look, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to obey God at all You don't have to serve God at all. What we really want for you more than anything is to experience the freedom and deliverance of the gospel where you believe in Jesus and trust him and you have joy because of what God has done for you. And then out of that changed heart, only then do you want to serve and obey. That's the logic of the Ten Commandments. Um, In the New Testament, uh, Paul says the law... God's instruction is written on their hearts, which basically means not your emotions. It basically means from the inside, you have a deep desire to live out God's instructions and please Him. So this is the difference between me resenting my parents because they're trying to restrict me, or that's how I feel about them, and saying, you know what, my parents are really smart in wanting to teach me how to play piano, and I am I want to please them. I want to make them proud because I love them because they're good because their instruction makes sense, and they might know better than me what's good for me. They don't always. But God is like a parent who's perfect, and so his instructions are perfect for you, and his instructions are freeing rather than restricting. But again, there are restrictions. Whatever you worship will lead to restrictions. Whatever you love, there will be restrictions or kind of conditions that you live under in order to, you know, this is like if you're married to someone And you're like, I really want to love you and be married to you, but I don't want to do anything that you say. I I don't want you to kill my vibe, you know, by you asking me to do stuff that I don't want to do. It doesn't make any sense, right? What love is, is you gladly do what pleases them. And it gives you joy. And so what we want you to know is the gospel. That Jesus Christ, when you see the Ten Commandments, God saved us out of slavery And he gave us a new heart. The law is written on our hearts. And my dad loves saying this. He says, the law is written on our hearts, and it's spelled L-O-V-E. The law is written on our hearts, and it's spelled L-O-V-E, where you can take all of the instructions of the Hebrew Bible and sum it up in love, in loving God and loving others. It's really that, in many ways, it's that simple. And then it's working out that love in every relationship, in every aspect of our lives. It's loving at work. When you go in on Monday morning, how can I love these people? When you're at school, how can I show the love of God to people? And so grace is always before obedience. And so what I hope is, um, I hope that rather than being an environment where you are pressured to do things, um, rather than an environment where God is demanding, um, let me me tell you the biggest misconception people have. People think that God is a slave master, not a parent. People think that God leads to slavery rather than God brings you out of slavery. People think his instructions are restrictive. There are elements that he restricts us, but that is only so we can go into greater freedom. This is the biggest misconception people have. And in the 10 Commandments, in the prologue, only after you see God has brought me out of slavery, God has done all these good things for me. Then what does he say? You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. God is saying, "I if you want to be free, if you really want to be free, if you want to experience inner joy and peace and security, I demand your exclusive allegiance." But what have I done to show you that I'm trustworthy? I've delivered you from Egypt. I've given you man in the wilderness. And this is what it means to be a Christian. It's to experience the grace of God. It's to see the love of God in people around you. And think about the people, the Christians who have treated you well, and ask yourself the question, why did they love me in that way? And what they would say is, they love me in that way because God first loved me. And I want to share this love with everyone around me. And then once you taste that love, once you taste, so I hope our church is a place where people feel loved. Once they experience that love, this is what can draw people to God. But again, this means being very patient. I really think this is important. Don't be pressured into saying you love God when you aren't sure about him, you aren't sure if you trust him. Instead, ask questions, investigate, but have an open mind and try to imagine that the way you perceive the scripture might be different than what you think. It's not simply rules, but it shows you who God is. It's not only, in, it's not only legal, it's not about laws, it's about him showing you a good way to live. Um, and then finally, grace comes before obedience, where God has done so much for you on the cross, and once you experience his goodness and trust him, then you can have new life. And so this is what I would say. When I think about what my life was like Before I knew God, um, I was a slave to, like, I would say depression. But even after I knew God, I still, there's still a part of me that didn't really understand um, what he's really about, and I didn't know how to live his way. But over time, as I, I'm not perfect by any means, but as I try to put into practice his way of life, his instructions, and as I have this changed heart where I say, God, I want to please you. It's not out of burden, it's not out of obligation, it's not out of duty, it's not out of other people's expectations. I wanna do it for you because I think you're good. I think you're worthy of following. Then that leads to freedom in my life. It leads to a heart. It's not what I've done, it's not based on my efforts, it's God giving me a different heart, writing the law on my heart, giving me the Holy Spirit, the peace and joy that comes from knowing God. And you can see this in people around you at church. You can see people who have gone through tremendous suffering at our church and still have peace and hope and joy in God, in the Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. Will you ask yourself this question? Are you more characterized by this attitude where you think God is trying to kill your joy or kill your vibe, God is trying to restrict you, or do you really understand deep down, even when God's way is hard, it is good for me, and I desire to please Him. And not only that, I experience the joy of being set free from slavery, of being saved, of having the Holy Spirit. Will you consider which which camp you fall into, um, and then the response you can make is. God, will you please reveal yourself to me as you truly are, as a loving father, not just as a slave master, not as someone who is always burdening me, because his commandments are not burdensome. This was an intro to the Ten Commandments, the ten words from God he reveals himself. Let's pray. Um, Dear Father, please, Lord, um, I pray you would, by your Holy Spirit, uh, convict us of sin Turn us away from idols. Help us see you, your heart, as our Heavenly Father. Um, Let us experience your joy. Um, I pray you would help us experience again the joy of our salvation, that we would respond with gratitude to what you've done in our lives. And that would really um, free us from any sense of duty and burden, but know that it is so good and joyful to follow you. Um, We can only do this through your help, and so we pray for you to do that. Um, I pray, Lord, you would reveal Jesus to us in new ways where we can be so grateful and joyful in what you've done. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.